Thanks for joining us. To keep up with the latest news and podcasts, visit www.propelchurchaz.com. Now get ready for a great message from Pastor Jason. We all try to resolve conflict in some way, but unless we do it according to what the Bible says, we won't have the same results. And so we have to make sure we understand what God's word says about resolving conflict. And so today we're going to look at the fact that resolving conflict involves us being honest with ourselves. Resolving conflict within our lives involves us being honest as to our involvement. And so to truly resolve any conflict that we encounter, we have to be honest with our personal involvement in that particular conflict that we have. We have to get real with ourselves and not think that it's everyone else's fault or problem when it comes to conflict. Because we will never truly resolve any issue that we find ourselves in if we can't look at our own lives, if we can't look at our own words, and we can't look at our own actions to see our role in conflict. And Peacemaker Ministries says this. They say, you will gain clarity of vision when you come to terms with your contribution to the conflict, no matter how big or small it may be. And that is so true. In other words, when when we're honest about looking at our involvement in conflict, even if it's just a small portion, we will be able to see with clarity where we may have gone wrong and how we can be a solution to the conflict and to bring peace to any relationship that we have. Are you with me this morning? Okay, it's quiet in here. It's okay. I know we're waking up. I understand or whatever it is, but man... I encourage you, it's okay to amen. That was good preaching, Pastor. It's okay to say that. Okay? Jesus addressed this within Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) He just called us hypocrites. He said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Whoa, man. He just coupled that with a, a, a powerful... Let me get you an opening here, and let me just seal it up with the closing and everything in between, man. He got us right there. And so we see clearly here that Jesus didn't say not to help the other person. He said to deal with our contribution to the conflict first. We need to get that, because a lot of times that's where we get stuck. And that's where we have to become honest with ourselves in order to help resolve conflicts within our lives. You see, conflicts many times come down to perspective. And each and every one of us has a different perspective when it comes to our relationships. And our different perspectives can be different for different reasons. We need to work hard, though, to try and see the other person's perspective when it comes to conflict within a relationship. And at the same time, we can be focused on the other person's speck of dust. 
in their eye. Jesus wasn't saying that that speck should be there. He wasn't justifying the speck in the other person's eye. He wasn't saying it's okay to have the speck there. That's not what he was saying. Jesus was saying, he wasn't even saying that we shouldn't help the other person with the speck. But he was saying we need to deal with the big old log in our eye. We need to get deal with the big plank that's sticking out of our eyeball first before we even help someone else. Why? Because many times we're at fault. And sometimes we're even more at fault than the other person. And we can think in the middle of that conflict that that other person's part of the conflict is the huge issue. And they have the larger fault. When many times Jesus is saying we're at fault more than the other person. And so we must always look at our contribution to the conflict first before we help the other person. Peacemaker Ministries gives us a quote in their materials to say that even if you're only responsible for 2% of a conflict, you're 100% responsible for your 2%. That's right. Amen. So many times if we feel like, well, it's mostly the other person's fault, so I'm good. And we back away and we go on our merry way and we think that we're all, we washed our hands of it and it's all good. It's the other person. But we still have a responsibility for our 2% or whatever percentage it is that we are guilty of. And that's what Jesus was communicating in Matthew chapter 7. That's what ties it all together. That we have to take responsibility for our faults in resolving conflicts when it comes to our relationships. The other thing Jesus said in this passage is he says, don't judge others. Now, in the culture we live in, it's hard not to judge. Man, that would have been a great place to say, amen, pastor. Come on now. I mean, there's judgment all around us, right? It's everywhere we go. It's in the social media that we watch or see and read and pay attention to. It's at work. It's in our schools, etc. And Jesus says, if we're going to follow him, then we have to live to a higher standard. Just like we said last week, we have to take the high road when it comes to resolving conflict. So we can't judge others, and if we do, then that same measure or that same harshness that we use in judging will be used against us. It's the kingdom principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever we sow in judging others is what we'll reap in judgment towards us. And we wonder why we go around in our relationships sometimes and we feel like, man, why are they judging me? Why, are they, why is that person saying this? Or why is that person accusing me of that? Or maybe it's because we've done the same thing and the same harshness to others. Because it's a kingdom principle. It's a God principle that whatever we sow is what we will reap. And so judging and not owning up to our involvement in conflict is where we blame and point the finger at others. And blaming never resolves anything. In fact, blaming escalates conflict. The reason we're not honest with ourselves when it comes to involvement in conflict is because we like to pass the blame. We look to shift the blame onto the other person so as not to admit our wrongs, as not to admit our faults, which is really pride at the core of that, when we don't want to admit we are wrong. But blaming the other person will only escalate the the, the conflict. It will never resolve anything or truly get to the core issue at hand if we pass the blame. And when two or more people are passing the blame, the conflict escalates even to a higher level. And we've all seen it in some scenario, some fashion, some form, where conflict has just gone to a whole other level because everybody's blaming one another. Yep. 
That's why we have to take responsibility for our part because admitting ownership of our part opens the door for admission on all accounts. Or it opens the door for admission on everybody's involvement in conflict. When, when we take ownership of our role in the conflict, the other person sees our humility and it softens the conflict That's right. in the moment. Our mission will open up the door for the other person to see their fault in the matter. It sets the table for reconciliation to happen so that peace can be reached within the relationship. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter seven, about taking the log out of our eye first before we can help our brother or sister with the speck in their eye. If we're gonna be honest with ourselves in regards to our contribution, we have to look at what's inside our hearts. We have to look at the core of what's going on on the inside to find the reason that we have a part in conflict. That's right, the answer's in here. And this is what James is talking about in chapter four, which we read in the first week of this series. And then we read verses one and two. Now we're gonna read verses one through three, and I wanna look at it again in James chapter four. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, James is known for in his book not to use frilly words. He doesn't use big words. He's not trying to puff us up. He's not trying to encourage us. And so he just gets right to the matter. Here's the deal. The bottom line is what James is saying. He's saying the reason we have conflict is because of the wrong desires that battle within us. We want, we covet, we desire to have something or to have our way which is at the core of conflict. And in those moments when we do go to God and we ask God for such and such, we approach God with wrong motives. We come to him out of selfish reasons. And when we do that, we wonder why sometimes we don't have the answers to the things we're asking for because maybe it's because of a wrong motive that we're asking God. Maybe there's a selfish reason. Maybe there's something inside that we're blinded to that we can't see in the moment. And that's where we need to go back and, and look at it and do a heart check. And that's what I want to look at this morning here in the next few moments. Church, this is why we must search the content of our heart to identify the cravings that lead to conflict. Amen. We have to look at the content of our heart to see the cravings that are on the inside. It's so important for us to intentionally look at the core of who we are and what we desire on the inside. To see the cravings within us that lead to conflict. To look for the wrong motives. To check for selfish wants that get in the way of our relationship with God and our relationship with others to get to the bottom of why we did what we did in the conflict, to get to the bottom of why we said what we said in that moment. Because when we do, we're gonna find a craving or we're gonna find something that we wanted to the point where it caused a conflict. We, we know that we all have a flesh. Amen. We were created with a flesh. And it's our flesh that has cravings to feed itself to feed what it wants. Our flesh wants to please itself, to make it happy. 
And so we have to look at what are these cravings at the core? What are the cravings at the core on the inside? What are the wrong desires? What are the wrong motives? What are the things on the inside that's at the core of some of the conflict that we're experiencing in our lives? Cravings are idols or many gods that we place our trust in instead of God. Now, we don't like to think that we may have idols in our lives, right? Especially as believers, because we know they're wrong. We don't like to think that, man, there's some idol within my life that, ooh, I hope nobody else sees this. I hope, hope God doesn't really see this, right? I mean, we don't, we don't want to assume that we do, but especially because we think of idols as wooden statues or some decorative piece that someone may place in their home and every time they see it, they think or, and worship that thing or it brings them back to a certain memory of whatever and longing and whatever the special meaning is within that specific item. And we think of that as the idol. We think of the Old Testament when, they, when the Israelites you know, had idols and God addressed their idols. They even made a golden calf you know, as, an, as an image of an idol or an idol for them to worship. And we remember all those things, but an, but an idol or mini-god could be anything. That's the danger where we don't guard ourselves sometimes from and why we get trapped by idols or mini-gods within our life. They could be even something good. An idol could be something good. It doesn't have to be something negative or totally outright wrong. It could be something good. It could be a person. It could be a relationship. It could be a job that we love. It could even be saving money, and we're so focused on continually putting money in the bank, and, and we're, that's our focus. That's our mentality. All, everything we do is going to be around saving money. Saving money is a good thing, but it can become an idol. It could be Facebook. Facebook can be an idol. Any type of social media, any type of form of entertainment can be an idol within our lives. An idol doesn't have to be something negative, church. And that's where the enemy gets us tripped up. Because he knows that we know what's right and wrong, generally. And so, but he will try to trap us in the things that are even good in order for us to make them more important than God in order for us to have conflict within our inner self, our inner heart, our inner life, so that it caused conflicts within our relationships. And at the point when it becomes an idol or mini-God in our life, we've crossed the line and we've begun to put our trust in that thing, that relationship, or whatever it is, instead of trusting in God. Now, we may still trust God for some things or for some areas in our life, but we've allowed or given a place for this idol to have our attention, to have our focus. And I want to read to you, this is not in your notes, but this morning as I was just praying and preparing, I just felt like the Holy Spirit speak to me, and he, he said, go to, go to the Ten Commandments out of Exodus 20. And this is what God said in Verse three, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes on to verse four. You shall not make for yourself any image, any image, so any idol, anything in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Amen. 
So God very clearly in his word and the, and the Ten Commandments were not just for the Israelites. They weren't just for the Old Testament time period. They don't go away. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. That was law. God's law. He didn't, I didn't come to get rid of the law, Jesus said, but I came to fulfill the law and then to raise even the bar. So the Ten Commandments, we need to look at them as a heart issue. Not as a legalistic thing. If we're going to love God, then we have to follow these. We have to obey these to make sure that we stay in that right heart, right relationship with God. And so... We have these cravings or these idols or mini-gods on the inside at times in our life, and we try to give a place for this idol so that we can give our attention to it. And so this morning, I want to give us three simple descriptions from Peacemaker Ministries as to what an idol is in our life. I want to describe what an idol would look like. Again, it could be anything. It could even be something good within our life. But this is what an idol will look like in our life. The first is this. An idol is something we set our hearts on. Something that we place our heart into. In in Luke chapter 12, Jesus was telling us not to worry about anything. And in verse 29, he said, don't set your heart on what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. And he said, don't worry about it. In other words, he said, "There there are many things in this life that we set our heart on. We make plans for this. We strive for that. And we're driven to accomplish or obtain whatever it is because our hearts are set on that thing. But Jesus said to seek his kingdom first and then all these other things will be given. Amen. And he went on to say where your treasure is in this passage, there will your heart be also. Meaning whatever our focus and heart are set on, that's where our focus in life will be. Is it on the Lord? Is it on our relationship with Jesus? Or is it on other things, other stuff within our life? And so we must, we must not set our hearts on things that become an idol to us or, or in our life. And we must keep them in the proper priority. That's right. Our hearts should only be set on God first and foremost. Second thing, is, second thing is, an idol is also something we let rule us. We can either let Jesus be the master and ruler of our life, or we will let something else rule us. There's no neutral ground in this. It's either Jesus is the Lord of our life, he's the ruler, the master of our life, or something else is. When something or someone else rules us other than Jesus, we've given them or we've given that thing attention or focus that it should not have. We've given them the authority to rule us instead of us ruling them. And if Jesus is not Lord or the ruler of our life, then we are headed for problems and for conflicts. That's That's the truth of God's word. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 5.5 that no immoral no impure or greedy person will have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He said, such a person is an idolater. Yep. Meaning the person, the people that are immoral, people that are impure, people that are greedy or selfish and trying to please for their flesh, that person has placed people or things in their life that rule them. That's right. They have idols. And Jesus should be the only ruler in our lives. Right. The third description of an idol is something we trust fear, or serve? Do we trust in the relationships around us? Do we trust in our money? Do we fear the things that we can try to have control over? Do we serve others? Do we serve ourselves and our flesh? What makes us feel good? 
what pleases our idol, the craving on the inside. Do we serve that craving or do we die to that? A good indicator would be that, God, am am I serving you? How am I serving you? How am I living for you? How am I advancing your kingdom? How am I sharing the gospel? How am I being faithful in serving you and all that you've called me to? A good indicator would be, am I plugged into the local church? Am I using the gift and talents and, and abilities that God has given me to be utilized to advance his kingdom? See, these are things that we have to look at to see if we're trusting, fearing, or serving God or other things. If our trust, fear, and service is not to God, then something's wrong within our lives. Something's wrong on the inside. Isaiah 42, 17 says, those who trust in idols and say to images or things, you are our gods, they will be turned back in utter shame. Meaning they will be surprised and embarrassed when God rejects them because they've not trusted, feared, or served him. But instead they've placed their trust and attention into other things. This is why we have to guard our hearts above all else, scripture says. Because it's the wellspring of life. We have to guard ourselves from placing focus on things our heart shouldn't be set on. We must guard ourselves from letting anyone or anything rule our lives and to take our attention away from God. And we must not place our trust, our fear, and service into any other thing other than God himself. Again, an idol is anything other than God that we can put our confidence in to bring us happiness and security. And even anger can be an indicator or a sign that we have an idol in our lives. Because when our idol is affected or when someone touches that area of our life and it's affected now, our anger will flare up. It will rise up because it indicates that we've placed our trust in that thing, that we serve that idol in that particular area in our life. And anger will come to the surface within conflict. It rules us or has authority in our life in an area where Jesus is not Lord. And anger is an indicator to that sign. So I want to give us some practical things so how we can identify what an idol is and how it operates now. What does an idol look like in our life? How does it work? How does it work within us? So we don't, we, we don't allow the enemy to have his way within our lives or to have his way in our relationships. Idols in our lives start with a desire. Idols always start with a desire or a craving on the inside of our life. We will say things like, I would like to have this, or I want to have that. And it's something that we want or we long for to have. Again, it could be even something good or positive. And that's where the enemy wants to deceive even believers. He will try to deceive us and thinking, well, this is good. It's okay for me to have this, and it'll start with that desire. And when we feed that desire, over time, the idol will begin to grow in our life. It will begin to take precedent over other things and take precedent over other priorities in our life. Psalm 37, 4 tells us to delight in the Lord because he will give us the desires of our heart, not ourselves. Meaning we must continually die to our flesh daily and surrender every desire that we have so that Jesus can be Lord over that desire. 
That's why we're called to take every thought captive. Every thought. Science says that we have probably on an average about 10,000 thoughts a day. Maybe some less, some more. That's a lot of thoughts. We have to take every thought captive that is not honoring to God, that is not pleasing to him, every thought captive and surrender it to his lordship in our lives. Every single desire that comes through that thought, we have to take hold of that and say, in the name of Jesus, I surrender that. I give it to you, Lord. Because the desires that are good, those desires that are from God will be fulfilled through the Lord's blessing and provision, not because we're in control and trying to make it happen, but because God's in control of our lives, because Jesus is the ruler of our life. Now, after we've given birth to a desire for an idol, the idol will now give a demand. It will begin to demand our time, our attention, our money, our resources, because it has to feed itself. And when that idol is hungry, we begin to demand things by saying, I must have this. I can't live without this. I've got to have that. That's why James said in chapter 4, verse 1, he said that it's the desires or cravings within that begin to take control because they're hungry for more. And that's what causes conflicts. They want more. What they've received isn't good enough. And our idols in our life, if we have any, will continue to want and demand more from us. An idol will then follow with disappointment. We looked at Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, the first week of the series, where Cain killed his brother Abel. And Cain became angry and was depressed because of his, brother's, his brother Abel's offering was accepted by the Lord and his wasn't. Why? Because Cain had idols in his life. He didn't give God the best of his crop, but he kept it for himself. He wanted to please himself by keeping the best of his crop instead of giving it to the Lord and what God was worthy of, what God had asked, what God had wanted him to do. And so he had an idol in his life. And when Abel received and walked in the blessing of God, Cain was filled with envy and disappointment because he wanted the blessing as well. Understand, church, that we will always be disappointed. We will always have an empty feeling when we place our trust in things and people that cannot satisfy what only God can. That's right, We will always feel empty and wanting more. We'll say things like, you didn't give me my desires, or, or you didn't do this for me. And there may be momentary, temporary happiness when those desires are met, but we will not be fully satisfied unless we seek the kingdom of God first, That's right. Jesus said. And so if we have an idol after disappointment, an idol will then bring judgment. Romans 14 says, why do we judge others or treat them with contempt? Because every one of us will stand face to face one day before God's judgment seat and have to answer for our wrongdoings, including any idols that we may have had. And our idols not only cause us to judge others, but we will be judged for any idols that we have in our lives. When our desires aren't met, we'll say things like, because you didn't meet my desires, you are this, or you are that. And we begin to judge condemn and reject the people who haven't given us what we wanted. And we will bring judgment to them and one day, obviously, we will have to face judgment for what we've done. But after giving judgment, an idol in our lives will seek punishment. And this is at the stage where we get angry. 
because our idol isn't being met. We get angry and try to get back at the person. We will say things like, because you didn't, I will. Because you didn't do this for me, because you didn't meet my desires for my idol, I'm going to do this to you. And we become consumed with our idol because of anger, because of hurt, and because of pain. And we may use words in anger to try to get back at that person. We may go and gossip about that person to other people, trying to get back at them. We may give them the cold shoulder, trying to ignore them, because we want them to feel that hurt and that pain, that desire that we have in our, in our inside that didn't get met. We want them to feel that type of pain, and maybe even worse, because we want to get back at them. We seek to punish them for not giving us what we want. And so when we see these responses and how much an idol demands from our lives, how much time it takes from our lives, how much energy it consumes in our lives and requires, it's not worth it. Why do we seek to worship and live for idols within our lives? So we have to ask ourselves some questions to examine our hearts, do a personal examination on our hearts to see what idols we may have. How How do we find out what idols do we have within our lives? Here's some questions. What do I fear in my life? What do I tend to worry about in my life? Because if we're tend, tending to worry about a lot of things over and over and over and over about the same thing, then that could be an idol within our life. What do I want in life? What do I want on the inside? What's going to bring me happiness if I obtain that thing? Or what sin would I accomplish to obtain what I want? How far would I go to be able to get what I want that's going to cause sin in my life? Or if that thing is denied to me, how would I sin to get it? Have I stretched the truth in arguing for my desire and the things that I want? Or have I stretched the truth in arguing against someone else's desire? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves. With the Lord's help, with the Holy Spirit's help to say, show, show me. What things are in my life? When I ask these questions, what things could be in my life that could be an idol in some way? And then the task is, how do we get rid of the idols in our life? How do we do that? And it says in Acts chapter three, verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The fact of the matter is this, unless we identify, repent, and confess our sin of idolatry, we will continue to have the same conflicts over and over. When we don't identify the idols that we may have in our heart, we'll continue to go around the mountain with the same conflicts. People wonder sometimes in their life, well, why do I keep going around experiencing the same thing over and over and over in our life? Why can't I get past this? And even as believers, we may go, well, why? I, I know there's more for me. Why can't I seem to get past that? It may be because there's some idols, there's some cravings, there's some desires on the inside of you that God can't take you to the next place until you deal with those idols, until you get rid of the idols within your life that have become many gods, and sometimes they may become a higher God than God himself within our life. 
That's why it's so important for us to deal with them, and God wants us to be free from them as well. He wants us to experience his freedom in our lives, but that we'd also have peace in our relationship with others. That's why there's so much bondage when it comes to the idols or the cravings in our life. We're chained to those things, and we cannot experience the true freedom that Christ came to give us until we surrender those things, until we repent and turn from them and turn to God and confess those before him. And understand that God is faithful to forgive us of our sins over and over and over, including our idols, and wipe them away when we repent and confess them. And here's the truth of the matter. The enemy doesn't want us to understand this, but when we confess our idols and sins, there's something freeing about admitting our wrongs to God and getting it out in the open. We're not fooling God by trying to hide them. He already knows. We're only hurting ourselves by not experiencing the true freedom and peace that Christ came to bring from all of that. But we must do it. We must confess our idols and our sins with a right heart because God will bring times of refreshing. Meaning in those moments when we get right with God, it's like a burden has been lifted. The weight comes off. God forgives us. We have a fresh peace. There's times of refreshing in our lives. And that's where we're supposed to stay on a daily journey with Christ. To stay in that place. We can experience the times of refreshing every single day in our life. It's not a seasonal thing. But God wants to refresh us each and every day. David in Psalm 51 confessed his sin to God and repented after the prophet Nathan had to confront him about his adultery with Bathsheba and killing her husband. Think about that. I mean, David knew what was right and wrong. He was considered a a man after God's own heart. And I, I, I just imagine, like, what was David experiencing? There wasn't refreshing in his relationship with God at that time because he hadn't confessed that sin at that point. He knew what he did was wrong, so there had to be a burden that he was carrying. There was a weight. There were chains that were holding him back in his relationship with God because he had not confessed his sin. And it wasn't until that point where he confessed that there was a time of refreshing. And we know that, as I just mentioned, David was a man of God's own heart, and it was not because he was perfect, but it was because he was willing to repent of his sins when he was wrong. And I love Psalm 51, that prayer. It's just a prayer to God where he spent time crying out to God and confessing his sins. He got it out in the open. He admitted his sins. He admitted his wrongdoing of having an adulterous affair with another man's wife by then going and killing her husband to try to cover it up that she was pregnant. I mean, that's a man after God's own heart. But it's because he was willing to make it right when he was wrong. That's what God looks for in us. And David in this prayer He asked God to create a pure heart and to renew a steadfast spirit, meaning to have a spirit, God, that would be firmly planted in you. His spirit was probably wavering in the moment. He knew he was guilty. He knew he was wrong, and he was going through the motions. And so he said, God, I confess my sin. Renew a steadfast spirit in you that I can continue to have the times of refreshing in my relationship with you. He asked God not to remove his Holy Spirit and to rejoy the joy and to restore the joy of his salvation. Because where there's joy, there's peace. 
And he also asked for a willing spirit to sustain him, meaning that he wanted to be willing to obey God once again, willing to admit, repent, and confess when he was wrong, and willing to do what was right. And that's a prayer that we need to know in our life as believers. Because many times, we may try to go on and ignore the things that are in our life. And we have conflicts. We have conflict with God in our relationship with him. We have conflicts with others. And yet God is saying, hey, if you just deal with it, I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna bring my presence in and at times are refreshing into your life once again. You're gonna hear my voice so clearly again because you've confessed your sin and I've removed it from you. I've wiped it all away. You see, this is the type of heart God is looking for in identifying, repenting, and confessing our sins, including the sin of idolatry within our lives. In closing, to remove idols in our lives that cause conflicts, we must trust in God for everything and worship him alone as the true God. If we're serious about getting rid of any idols in our hearts and lives, then we can't trust in the idols any longer. We can't trust in them for happiness or satisfaction. We can't continue to give them the same time and attention and devotion that we have given to them in the past. We can't worship them. Instead, we must put our complete trust in the Lord. We have to worship him and him alone. He is the one God, the one true God that has given us salvation through his son, Jesus. He's made a way for our lives to be saved, to be forgiven of all of our sins. No one else has done that for us. Nothing else. No matter what idol we may have in our life, there's nothing that they could give us or that thing could give us or that other person could give us that God has already given us through Christ. And there is no one and there's nothing that compares to God. There's nothing. We serve the one true God that came to give us life to the full, which brings us peace. Peace with him and peace with others. And if we're lacking that peace today and we recognize that we have conflicts today in our relationships, then our first step is to be honest with ourselves, to identify the idols in our hearts and then to repent and confess them to the Lord. Because God is faithful to forgive us and to give us a brand new start with times of refreshing and his peace and his presence within our hearts and lives in our relationship with him first and foremost and then our relationship with others. So I want to encourage you, church, this morning. We need to be honest with ourselves. Let's not play any game with God. Let's not try to fool ourselves or try to fool God and things that may be on the inside that are cravings and desires that are causing conflict with God and with others. Would you bow your heads this morning?